What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 8 to 15 now, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 17th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. I am working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fatherhood matters. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is Nathan Oates. He is one of my life's greatest mentors. He has been on the podcast before, episode number 27, which is in the top five most listened to Rebel and Create podcast. Now, this episode may be the most powerful for you. We are talking about freedom from pride and what real, true humility looks like. I know this is something very, very powerful for my life. I hope that it is for yours as well. Enjoy. All right, welcome to another episode of Fatherhood Field Notes. I'm sitting here with Pastor Nathan. How are you? Doing well. Man, I've been looking forward to this, even though we both kind of acknowledge we just blew in from just a packed calendar. Mm Mm-hmm. But here we are, and we're pausing, and we're talking about fatherhood. In your treehouse. In the treehouse. So, yeah. So, this is pretty new to do podcasts in the treehouse, and so I think it sounds a little echoey, and you could tell, hmm. but uh, I think it's just going to be fun and raw, and then slowly I'll put posters up. Who doesn't want to be in a treehouse? Yeah. I, this is way worth the drive. Yeah? Oh, my gosh. When you rolled up and amazing. saw it, what'd you think? I thought that, well, I'd seen pictures, but it was, it's beyond, it's, it, it exceeds expectations. There is a tree in the house- the house is on a tree and the tree is in the house. Yes. <laughs> I'm in a tree house and there's, and this is like, I mean, I know you've got daughters, but this has got to be every kid's dream. Certainly when I was a kid, I had a tree house. It was nothing like this. Yeah, this me, is like me as well. weathered and weatherproofed. I, I literally, so I couldn't justify to my wife why I wanted to spend, you know, like, I don't know, maybe for four grand, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I... She probably wouldn't have asked me, but I sold my Jeep. So I sold my Jeep huh. and I took f- four grand from selling that. And I that's what I used to build this. Really? Yeah. And I bought a Prius. So like, that's how committed mm-hmm. I am to go from a Jeep to a Prius. Yeah. <laughs> and a seafoam green. Talk about green, humility. Seafoam green <laughs> Prius to be exact. The only one you have to turn had. in your card for that. <laughs> my, Sarah texted me. You step me. out with the Rebel and Create Dude. t-shirt out of your Prius. With my tattoos. Zzz, zzz. A friend of mine recently, he rolled up to me in, in his Audi and he said, hey, did I see you in a Prius earlier? And I was like, yeah, that was me. He said, he said, "Dude, you need to get uh, those windows tinted. <laughs> <laughs> Do not. Let me know you're in that car. Yeah, yeah, dude. Funny, funny. Um, so yeah, it's been super fun, and I want to be a kid forever. So <laughs> this this is helpful mm-hmm, for me mm-hmm. to be in here. Um, so here's why we're sitting down talking today. You know, um, you and I recorded a podcast before, so we don't need to get in the who, what, why, rebel, Great. and create all the stuff. It was episode 27, okay, and it is actually in the top five most listened to. Wow. And what we talked about is how. How one changes through pain. Mm-hmm. That was our conversation. Yeah. yeah. So definitely go check that out if you want to learn more about Nathan. And, you know, I meet with Nathan probably every two months. Other than my wife, he is my most trusted confidant. And that is for real. 
mentor. We've been meeting for three to four years. And so when we were meeting recently, it's like, dude, we need to record some of these conversations because I'm growing tremendously. And so I wanted others to be able to grow from our conversations. So I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that I struggle with, and I'm sure every dude listens, listening to this struggles with, which is which is pride and humility. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in me getting the Prius, that's a pride, it's almost a pride statement. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm not defined by my car. Mm-hmm. So even in that is a sense of humility and pride mixed and in, entwined. Yeah. You would look, it looks like a, a step towards humility, but you're saying there was, even I use pride it as a pride. There. Yeah. Yeah. Like this doesn't define me and you don't really know, sure. you know, how successful I might be. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's crazy how our mind could do that. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that, mm-hmm. but before we do, I'm going to try out a new podcast question. I've been thinking about oh, asking sweet. dads and okay. that you don't know. Okay. So here's the question. Um, what have you learned most about yourself by being a father? Most about myself. Yes. What have you learned most about yourself? And kind of where I'm going with it is your children uncover things about you. For right? sure. Right? It's like you are faced with, yeah. this is who I am in a sense. Yeah. And so what have you learned or overcome? What have you learned that you like that you didn't mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. or that you grew from? Yeah. Huh. That's a really good question. The thing that's coming to mind is the l- most recent thing I've learned about myself through being a father. Okay. Um, I'm sure I've learned more profound things or more important things because I've been a dad now for 19, 20 years. Um, so, okay. So here's the recent thing I've learned. This is a great question, by the way. I could give a better answer with a little bit advanced. Notice, yeah, yeah. I'm kind so of I hope you stick it. with it. I, th- I, I think you should stick with it. But here's the most recent thing. So uh, I went camping with my sons a couple weekends ago. We drove down to the desert near Death Valley and we camped and rock climbed. And, um, and I noticed, because they kept pointing it out to me, that I was overreacting to loud noises. And when they would say, oh, darn, you know, like, shoot. I was like, what, what, what happened? You know, and I'm not, a, I'm not like a afraid kind of person. I'm not necessarily a cautious person, but they kept, I kept overreacting to things. Um, like something with the car or the, the, the stove would get knocked over or something. And they, they were asking like, are you all right? Mm. Both of them, both my sons at one time or another, they're like, are you all right, dad? And uh, what, I, what I've learned about myself through them was that I, they were reflecting, like you said, they're reflecting back to me like this. I almost feel like I've got this shell shock in my mind, in my heart from the year, from the last year, which was a hard year for almost everybody in different ways. It was hard right. for me as a leader. Um, criticism was way up. Uh, ramifications of decisions were way up. Uh, I lead a community, as you know. And so I was making decisions that impacted a lot of people. And, um, and, uh, I feel like I'm a little bit like, like a gun's going off. Everything matters. Everything is just super. So I I don't want to be like that, you know? So they, they, one of the, I think the transferable principle there is that my kids, thankfully, because I have an honest relationship with my sons, um, it's honest enough, at least that they're, they're pointing out stuff in me and just sort of putting it on the table like hey what's going on with you and 
and that's helping me to see how I'm coming across to them. So specifically, like I'm trying to control things too much. I'm trying to limit the liabilities too much. I'm trying to protect too much. I see my my, um, perspective on the year is characterized by a lot of disappointment, disappointment specifically from what my kids couldn't experience. And so I don't want them to experience more pain and more disappointment. So I'm like overreacting and trying to protect them from it. Um, So that's something. So two things I I hear from that. One is you're always, you can always learn from your kids. Yeah. Right. The answer wasn't, yeah, when my kids were two, you know, I really was faced with this. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a constant of, of if you're willing to allow them to reflect back to you. Yeah. And maybe even the bigger piece here is what have you done? You, you said I have an honest relationship with my kids, Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of times, you know, when you go turn away to go put something in the truck, you know, your one son might say to the other son, why is dad being such a dick right now? Mm -hmm. Why is dad so, you know, and never bring it to your attention. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So clearly there's something that you've incorporated with them that although they can tell that you may not be stoked Mm -hmm. or you're you're frustrated that they feel the freedom to bring it up to you. Yeah. I think to a degree they do. I'm sure there's the behind the back, like what's wrong with dad? talks that are happening too. But part of it was we were camping. We're sitting around a campfire. We're burning cactus. It's 26 (laughs) degrees. We're trying to stay warm. And so we had the space, Ned, to to talk about our relationship. Um, In other words, I don't think they would have asked me that if we were in the the busyness of our normal routine. But what I've done to nurture an honest relationship with my kids, it's an expressed goal. When I turned 40, I created a plan, things I wanted to be able to say about myself when I turned 50. Ah. And one of those things is I want to have an honest and open relationship with my kids. And so as a result of that goal, that trickles down into action steps. And so I have specific time set aside to spend with each kid on a regular basis. And so that's how I've tried to foster those open relationships. And, you know, there's been times that are better than others. I think we're in a pretty sweet time. Um because we've been spending a lot of time together. And then how old will your kids be when you're 50? When I'm 50, uh, they'll be 22, 20 and 13. Yeah. So no, that's 10 years from now. When I'm 50, well, I'm 48, bro. Oh, 48. Yeah. Oh, but <laughs> so there's only so two you years. Created this I created this eight years ago. Got it. Got and it, I've been working it. this plan for eight years. And now uh, I kind of refreshed it on my 48th birthday. And, cool. I, and now it's the 24 plan, which is just 24 months, man. I got Dude. 24 months. So it's coming down to little 30-day blocks. Another thing that I'm learning is from my kids that what they're teaching me about myself is the, the um, dynamics of transferring responsibility. Like my son's 18. He's, he's stronger than me. He's Mm. bigger than me. Um, he's full of juice. He's, he's 18. So he's young. Right. But he's very capable. He's more capable than me in some ways. And so that's, that's a, that's a learning curve. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I need to uh, enable him to do things that he wants to do, that he wants to take responsibility for. And, uh, yeah, because you want him to be a man, so you're wanting to pass that on to him. Exactly. Right. So in a sense, it's a submission, learning already learning, like instead of, I need my son to submit to me, there's definitely still a need for that. Um, but there's also, the submission also goes the other way. There's some things in which I need to submit to him 
allow him to take the lead. And of course I want him to become the guy who can handle it. You know, right. so like on this camping trip, there was a lot of that because he had a stronger opinion or he was better able or he whatever. And so it's an interesting dance, you know? Yeah. Because you also, it's like you want to lead, but you also want to let lead. You got to let him go. He's, he's probably months from moving out. So he's, he's, yeah, he's got to, you want to launch him with strength and confidence Right. Not reckless pride, but definitely um, I don't want him to leave home and be like, well, my dad always did everything for me. Right. And I want him to be able to lead other people. So that means he's got to be able to lead me. Mm. All right. So which leads us perfectly into what we're talking about is is humility and pride. And you you, you ended it with you want him to be, be able to lead other people. Yeah. And, you know, as we started talking about what is pride and what is humility, Mm -hmm. you really had brought up that anybody who is leading anybody else, Mm -hmm. you know, we're specifically talking about fatherhood, right? but must have humility. Yeah. And so maybe just start with why, why, if I'm going to lead, and when you look around our world, the, the, the image we see or the role models we see in sports, in politics, Mm -hmm. in business, isn't necessarily lead from humility. Right, right. Because we want confidence. So mm-hmm. what's the difference between confidence and pride and humility? Yeah. And maybe just start jumping into it. Okay. Yeah. I don't I don't think that I don't think that humility is a requirement for leadership, but it is a requirement for healthy leadership. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of people that lead out of like a positional leadership. I I tell you what to do because I am in this position. I've got this label. I've got this this uh, letters after my name or I'm the boss. But I think it's because they don't even know how. It's not that they don't want to work well with people. They probably feel like an a-hole probably, by leading that way. I, I don't know. I, I Yeah, I would think that it would be very unfulfilling because there's no real relational, right. genuine um, give and take there. I, I think that whether we're talking about the context of our families or our businesses or our communities, leadership that actually impacts people is leadership that is rooted in humility. There's an authenticity that comes from that. There's a love that comes from that. I think love is the motivator for humility. Power is not the motivator for humility. Like in other words, the reason I don't want to be humble for the sake of being humble. That's like, I'm just choosing some attribute out of the air. Well, that's because you, you, you're like, I want to be seen as humble, but that's prideful. That's prideful. That's right. You're right. That's prideful. It's it's deceptive. It flips on you. But I think that the the best why for working on growing or maturing in humility is love. Why do you want to be humble in your relationship with your wife? Well, because you really love her. If you don't really love her, then you've got no motivator to be humble, right? The reason I want to be humble in my specifically in the disputes or the conflicts I have with my sons because I love them. Like I want to go assert my strength and my authority over them and demonstrate my power over them and sever or at least damage a relationship. Because I, in other words, why is my reason? Because I love them. I need to mature in humility. But why do we think that is weakness then? Because we don't have any models of it. We have so few examples of it. We associate affluence with power and pride, we, we associate success with pride. We, we, we associate, I think, um, dominance, all these things that are celebrated in our culture, um, are associated with power and 
pride and look at me and it's the selfie on steroids kind of yeah. thing, right? Um, but it's a deception. That's a deception. Um, and, and sometimes you, you get a peek into how deceptive that actually is when you hear like two days after the Super Bowl, the guy's drunken in a stupor because now he's reached the top of his life. He's, a, he's accomplished the greatest thing he ever thought he had, but he's still empty inside, right? Whereas you don't hear that, that same kind of, um, kind of residual regret when people make choices out of, out of humility. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, so in other words, I think there's a, there's a lack of association, the positive association with humility on display. But I think if we actually have conversations about the men that we respect, you might respect somebody's success in, in like in terms of their business. You might uh, respect somebody's strength, but the character, I think if you said, whose character do you admire? I think now you start going like, well, there's something about this guy that's so genuine, so truly humble. That's There's the attraction. But it's quiet. You know what I mean? It's not celebrated in pop culture. Can you be a leader in the community where you are standing out confidently? Yeah but you are doing it in a humble way. But if, if yeah. that's, you don't know, I, I, the answer is yes. I think it's yes, but, but I don't you think have, confidence should be held in opposition to humility. I think those two things go together. But I feel like confidence and pride. Like if I'm like, I'm going to confidently show up to something, mm-hmm. but it's almost like I'm confidently showing up to things and trying to appear really strong where I personally might be weak so mm-hmm. that I'm not appeared to be weak yep. in the area. Right. See, you, you just touched on it. It's appearance. You're talking about confidence in in reference to the way you appear. That's not what I, that's not humility. That's fear and pride and pretending and acting like I'm somebody I'm not. And I wonder how they think I am. And you're, you're thinking about the way you are viewed. The confidence rooted in humility just shows up in confidence. Mm. It's genuine confidence. It doesn't matter if people. Because you're not even coming at it from your presented self. You're coming at it as your actual self. I am confident. I totally know who I am. Um, I've got a accurate, probably humble assessment of who I am. And there's, f- there's freedom that comes in that. There's freedom that comes. There's actually bondage associated with the pride that makes you want to show up and look like you're somebody that's, that, you're, that you're actually trying to be because you're actually not that guy yet. You see what I'm saying? Yes. That's a kind of bondage. Those guys are, they're, man, you poke a hole in their balloon and it all goes away because they're putting on a front the whole time. You peel back a few layers of that and that's fear. That's not confidence. That's fear. It's rooted in a bondage to, oh my gosh, if they actually know who I am, they're going to reject me. If I can't drink as much as they can, or I can't do this kind of work out as well as they can. They're going to, the truth will be revealed and I can't handle that. And so I'm going to put up a front. So on one, like if you were drawing this on a piece of paper and there's a vertical line on one side, you've got words like pride, bondage, reputation, impress others, um, look good, appear to be successful. And on the other side, you've got words like truth, and reality and confidence that is rooted in, I know who I am, humility, 
and freedom. That's how ads, at least that's how I see it. Yeah. Because I'm telling you that I'm not a, I have struggled with pride. I think everybody struggles with pride. Pride's the root of all sins. Every problem in our life, every destructive behavior is ultimately rooted in pride. Everyone, some form of pride. Um, so I am definitely not saying that I have a, a, achieved some level of humility. What I am saying is that I've, I have received, I have, my eyes have been opened to the destructive nature of my pride to the degree that I'm actively working on maturing in humility. Because I'm recognizing pride is my problem. It's my problem in my parenting. It's my problem in my marriage. It's my problem in leadership. It's my problem in relationships. Pride's always causing destruction. I don't want to cause destruction. I want to cause restoration. And so I need to actively mature in my humility. In, in layman's terms, I need to grow up. But is there up. ever an is there ever a um point where you've arrived? I don't think so. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. So then is the difference at its core pride is you're showing up for yourself and humility is you're showing up for other people? Right. Uh, that's a great summary because if you love people if love is your motivator then you're showing up for other people, not for yourself. Yeah. So love motivates the humble action. Love motivates. But don't the I want decision. to go love because I want to receive love? You know, it's. I mean, does probably, that start to get like the chicken and the egg kind of thing? Maybe. I mean, I don't know that it's ever so crystal clear and clean that it's like this is purely a humble act of service, and I don't gain anything from it. I mean, um, my my view of reality uh, is deeply informed by. Uh, um, an understanding of a God that is good. And so even in my most others-focused act of service, I'm also receiving huge blessings, right? Huge benefits. I attribute that to a God that is good. So even as I empty myself, I'm receiving, right? right? So I don't see it as it's got to be one or the other. It's both and. But I can tell you that when I show up selfishly, I'm not getting either. I'm not helping uh, my kids and I'm not actually yeah. getting anything out of it. Yeah. But that's the that's the that is the great deception of humanity. You can have it all. Just do what you want and then poof, you do what you want and you realize you don't have any of it. You've lost you've lost it all, right? Yeah. So what's fascinating to me and has been for a while uh, like a decade is ancient Christian wisdom that isn't so worried about who's prideful, who's humble, and all of these theoretical conversations that we seem to be focused on, um, but is just really practical. And here's how you become more humble. Like you want to get after it? Do you want to talk about what it's like to be in shape physically or just want to go work out and start the process? Right. So I just am super fascinated because there, there's great wisdom that has been recorded in how to become holy in general and how to become humble specifically. And so that comes down to a lot of your pursuits in reading around St. Benedict mm-hmm. and the monks. Right. 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 Because it's very practical. And we've had lots of conversations about this where I've, I've even said to you, like, I think it's easier to go be a monk than to be a father. Mm-hmm. Right. So we've mm-hmm. kind of like discussed that. Yeah. But it's a similar concept of like, 
if I really want to go practice some of these things that you could talk about, right? Some of these steps, mm-hmm. they are straight up. Like if I want to go be a monk in a monastery and submit, I could do the same thing in my home as a father. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the same principles. A lot of the tra- yeah, they're a lot are of transferable. There, right. Right. Um, and so it's like this whole idea of this calling for my life and this pursuit and this growth and humility and love mm-hmm. and life can all happen in your home. Yeah. It and, can. And and that, I mean, I think that's what I want to hear. Yeah. Because because of Instagram and Facebook and all yeah. the books that are written and all this stuff, it's like what what makes you worthwhile is like pursuing all these things outside of, mm-hmm. you know. But if I really truly care about who I'm becoming and who those around me are becoming, I could submit just in the four walls of my home mm-hmm. and all the things that I want to be loved, valued, respected, needed can all happen there. Yeah, that's your monastery. I went and lived with monks in Italy, as you know, for yep. a, a while in 2018. And I thought that the the parallel was monastery and church. And there are some parallels, but the better parallel, um, according to the monks, is monastery and home. So in other words, there's more to learn as the leader of a home from monks, potentially, than there is as to, as a leader of the church from monks. In other words, the home is more like the monastery. Which is huge. Like if you're a dad listening or me, mm-hmm. myself listening right now, everything that we want, like God gave us in our home. I know. But the world is telling us all the time that it's everything that's everything outside of that, whether it's else. hobbies mm-hmm. or wor- work yeah. or even leadership at church, right? Yeah. You you lead a community, but but the community inside of our homes is critical to the sustainability, the stability mm-hmm. yeah. of our world. Yeah, right. But we're not leaning into that. Like, look at our culture. We yeah. don't glorify the home. Yeah, it's... It's not fancy. It's often pretty mundane. It's, uh, sure. it's super challenging. It's right in your face all of the time. And it, there's a there's a degree to which you can um, you can kind of put on a suit and go to work and find success in short segments. But let's look at how it's actually playing out at your home because that's the truer mirror. That's the more accurate reflection of who Ned Shout is and the influence that Ned Shout is having on the world. It's his home. This is why in the ancient Christian writings, the qualifier for a spiritual leader was not how well he preached or how well he was, how how effective he was at gathering a crowd. It was how well did he run his house? He's read about this in Paul's letters to Timothy and to Titus. It's like, these are the qualifications of a spiritual leader. It's his fatherhood. It's how he's running his home. It's, it's, how, it's how his children view him. Oh my goodness. It's how his wife views him. This is massively challenging. For what me. if that's how we made decisions about our leaders nowadays? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah. First, we want to get your resume for what your house looks like, <laughs> right? How you? How, what do your kids say? Then we what want recommendations your from your children. Yeah, yeah. So I hope that this feels, even though this might be a topic that just feels like, oh my gosh, that's so not what I'm thinking about right now. I, I, I'd like for it to feel um, incredibly practical and meaningful and important because. We don't want to continue the destructive pattern that's caused by pride in all of its forms. I don't believe I don't believe anybody listening to this is like, yeah, I want to continue to screw things up for everybody who knows me. They want to do the opposite. They want to care and make things better and improve and restore things. 
So we just got to call it what it is and we have to go to work on our pride. And I don't mean, Ned, stop being so prideful. That's not helpful at all. Right. Are you humble or are you prideful? What a silly question. Mm. The question itself is a prideful question. So let's just go to work. Let's go to work and let's start working by applying steps that have been demonstrated over thousands of years of history to actually form a person in into, into a humble person, to form a person in the way of love, to, to free people. Benedict writes what I believe is the first 12-step recovery program in the 6th century. So Benedict's this kid who grows up in Italy in the sound called Nursia, goes off to college in Rome. What he sees in Rome is just, he just, it's, he's so disgusted mm. by the lack of ability of anybody to have a meaningful relationship because there's everybody's so prideful. Literally, the Roman Empire early democracy is crumbling because they just can't even have a conversation. Sounds kind of similar to our situation, right? For sure. Not only is the culture devastated and 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 uh, crumbling, but the church is corrupt because of the same reason. It's about 300 years after political power is given to spiritual leaders, which corrupted them. So now the bishops have massive political power. Therefore, the church is corrupt. Benedict sees this, absolutely blows his mind, and he gets dismayed. He drops out of college his first year and literally goes and lives in a cave by the river for three years. Gnarly. Yeah. And guys start joining him because he has a reputation of being a truly humble man, a truly holy man. So what's he doing? He's starting to rebuild and restore meaningful community. Now, St. Benedict's the patron saint of Europe, not just not just Italy, he's considered to be the one who rescued Western civilization. Why? Because he actually put together a plan to restore community. Think home, think family. So his little book called The Rule has all kinds of weird sixth century (laughs) stuff that doesn't relate, but it also has a lot of really powerful stuff that does relate, including the first 12-step recovery program. Um, I think a lot of us are familiar with 12-step recovery programs. Mm -hmm. The sobriety that Benedict is chasing is humility, freedom from pride. The addiction he's trying to break free from and help others uh, break free from is the addiction to pride, to always being the focus of everybody's attention. So he, But why? Why does it matter? So, you know, is it because I want to... To experience love, I want to experience community. Mm-hmm. I want to experience like a true confidence when I show up somewhere that mm-hmm. I'm I'm not fearful. I'm mm-hmm. not living in bondage. Mm-hmm. You know, so for us dads, it's like why why do I want sobriety for for pride? I think the same reason you'd want sobriety from any other addiction. You want freedom from it. Freedom. You don't want to be controlled by it. Seriously, we're we're gonna battle with pride as long as we're in the flesh, right? But you don't want to be controlled by pride in your in right. your marriage, no. in your no. relationships with your neighbors. That's ugly. You don't want to be controlled by pride. You don't. We should see pride not as sort of um, thinly veiled masculinity and think actually pride's kind of cool. It's not. Pride is the source of the destruction that we experience it's as dangerous as an addiction to a drug or to to pornography it's just causing brokenness pride is it's 
fundamentally, it's a completely overinflated view of yourself and your importance. So yeah, of course, that's going to just cause a problem because you're walking around like you're God and you're not. So instead of talking about it and trying to choose, okay, I'm going to be humble today. Yeah, right. You just get rid of that conversation altogether yeah, and you start jumping to these these steps. Yeah. So let's break down some of these. Okay. And then talk about them in a practical sense of like, how am I going to do these as a man, Super. as a dad? I think that'd be helpful. It's been helpful for me. The first, Benedict's first step is always keep, um, always keep the reverence of God before your eyes. So right off the bat, is it even possible... Because when it comes down to it, we say, know who you are. Right. Okay. And we live in a world of like, hey, whatever your truth is, man. Right. <laughs> which right. Is, which is pretty much prideful. Let me choose whatever I like. Absolutely. Okay. It's absolutely so prideful. So if, if, I mean, we'll go to step two, so I would, but the question is, can you even talk about this you if you're not going to talk about God? You that is the question. That is the question. Now, let me be clear. In my opinion, I think you'd be a great dad and not talk about God. I think you can make a good impact on people around you in some ways, but you cannot grow in humility if you don't acknowledge there's because something at the bigger end, than you. Right. Because, because then if there's nothing bigger than you, you are the biggest. You are the biggest. This whole pride and humility conversation is ridiculous. You're God, right? If you're Shirley MacLaine or whatever, you're like, you think you're God, then you think whatever you want. Right. So at the end of the day, to, to even start this idea of humility, there's some sort of submission to there's something there's a creator bigger than, bigger me. than me. Right. Okay. There, all right. I did not give myself breath this morning. When I came to consciousness, I was breathing. And if there's not an acknowledgement of some degree of dependence on the giver of life, hmm. then hey, I great, we can be good friends and go forward. But I'm just telling I'm simply saying this. I don't know how you grow in humility unless you start with the acknowledgement that you are dependent on somebody else for life. So Benedict wisely starts there right. and says, listen, right. step one, step one, if there's step a God 12, and you're not God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If it's step 12, we're, we're leading you for failure. Right. So, if, right. So, okay. Step right. one, what's step two? So just in every practical, uh, just all through the day, I just... I kind of am carrying this awareness that God is, that, you know, God's with me. Um, the Bible informs me about the nature and the character of God, which is actually helpful because the Bible reveals a God who is good and loves me, which is amazing. So it's easier for me to, but bottom line, I'm walking around, I'm doing my work and there's just a general awareness that, that God is, and that awareness is tilting towards respect, respect mm. for you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think of I think of the moments that you are standing in front of the ocean and it's storming yeah. or you go to Yosemite for the first time. You feel small, you right? See, yeah. Mm -hmm. You 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 see something grand. Every one of us yeah. has been there where we right. see something grand and we go there's something different. There's something here. Right. But you're saying bring that, you know, step 1 is bring that into your everyday because if I just wake up and look at my phone and look at my calendar. Like all of a sudden I'm starting out my life thinking about what's me, what's next. Yep. yep. So love it. Right. And so now modern day, um, 12 step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, the first step is to admit you have a problem, but eventually it gets to this, this recognition that you got to submit to a higher power. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. even, even that early sixth century idea is still reflected in, 
in middle. Okay, so first step is always keep the reverence of God before your eyes and everything that you do. The second step is don't love your own will. I'm just telling you, if you go to work on this, this will do it. Like, I love my own will. I think it's perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's exa- this is what we say. We say, oh, you know, Ned, it was, it was perfect. It, our vacation was perfect. It's exactly like I wanted it to be. That's what, that's what I mean when I say that. It's exactly like I wanted it. Exactly like I imagined it. I love my own will. So is there a problem with that? Not necessarily. But if I'm trying to pull up the roots of pride and become a more humble man, which is ultimately to become a more loving man and a freer man, then I need to stop loving my own will so much. Well, as soon as you get married and or have a kid, you're confronted with all of a sudden my will isn't happening all the time. Exactly. Right? I mean, I think that's why God put us in those situations, you know, and puts a, a, a human being that 100% <laughs> needs you to survive. It, you know, I was just talking to my brother, had his first kid this week, mm. and he's like, dude, I am confronted with I am not as important. Wow. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's crying. You could let him die. Right. I mean, to go to the extreme. Sure. Right? Right. Or, or ignore but but there's something in you that's submitting to now this this thing. It's like we're not like some you know some animals. They come out running. Yeah, we don't. Right. There's this ability for us to have to submit to what's happening right here. Right. Which is you're confronted with your own will. So like yes, you could go through your whole life and have mediocre relationships with everybody around you and turn your back on people when things don't go your way. Mm-hmm. But that if you're gonna be a father that not loving your own will, you're going to be confronted with. Absolutely confront with it. That's a great way to put it. Like to, to be kind of ridiculous, say your brother always rides motorcycles on Saturdays and now he's got a kid. Um, if he continues to ride motorcycles on Saturdays and not care for his kid, if he loves his will so much that he's just going to do what he wants exclusively to the detriment, then then you, you're literally damaging another person. You're causing, your pride is leading to destruction. Right. Right. Which I think, I think... If you're a dad, I still think it's good for you to have the things that you do, right? Invest in yourself and, and do those. But your kid's sick or your wife's at the end and you're like, you're, she's at the end of a rope and you're getting on your bike and you're like, too bad, too bad, right? That's where it starts to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a whole nother category, I think, that we could go into, which is just doing the hard work of working out a healthy relationship where there's balance and there's right, shared right, responsibilities. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But at the, at the core, like if I'm prescribing, I'm not prescribing it because I've received it from somebody else, this sixth century monk, but here's the workout. Acknowledge that there's God. Don't love your own will. And then you've already, it leads right into the third step, which is submit to somebody else. So if you're a monk, you submit to the abbot, you submit to the leader of the monastery. Right. If you're married, you submit to your spouse. If you want to become more humble, now maybe you're like, no, I'm not submitting to my spouse. Okay. But if you want to free yourself from pride, then one way to do it is to submit to your spouse, right? So how do you submit to your spouse? Well, that's a great question. Put her needs first. Respect her opinion, whether you agree with it or not. Hmm. There was a season, there's a season in the Christian calendar called Lent which is like a 40-day preparation for the celebration of Easter. And it's traditional for Christians to give up a certain thing that they enjoy. It's like a fast before a big feast. It's right. like you don't eat for a while to remind yourself of how much you really 
love eating yeah. and how much you're grateful for the food that you have. So a couple of years ago, I didn't know what I should do as a spiritual discipline to observe Lent. So I just said, hey, Carmen, that's my wife. I said, what do you, what do you think I should do? You know, And that was an act of submission. Mm. So I let her choose what, or I invited her to choose the discipline that she felt like I needed to embrace. So I think it looks different for everybody, but ultimately it's it's putting somebody else's um, desires or will before your own, and not not battling, trying it. to get something you submit to it out of it. Yeah, right. which is the then then that yeah, comes to like the it's not a transaction, of, right? It's right. submission. Yeah, submission is hard for people. Submission also doesn't look masculine or strong, but submission. Okay, so forced submission is coercion, and that's that's destructive and broken, right? We want to protect people from forceful submission. Think child trafficking, right? right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about willful submission. We're talking about, I know I don't have to do this, but I'm choosing to do this. Why? Because I'm doing work on becoming a freer person. So how do you, just to make a little side comment yeah. on this, help men not become passive in that, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can see some dudes who are just like, you, you, you their wife right. dresses them and tells them what to do, <laughs> and he's friends with all her friends' husbands and just yeah. hates his life. Yeah, so yeah. where's that? Because we're not saying mm-hmm. do that. Right. No, we're not becoming doormats. Uh, we're not becoming passive to the point that we lose our identity if I don't love my will, it assumes that I have a will, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm submitting to somebody else, it assumes that I'm making a choice that I am voluntarily making. Not so, the coercion. Not the coercion yes. and not the not the milk toast jellyfish, nobody, right. like the guy who doesn't know who he is and he's like so codependent that, no, this, this it assumes, okay, these spiritual disciplines assume that there is enough um, self-knowledge and identity that you're not finding it in somebody else. In other words, if I'm submitting to my wife in order to find my identity in her, I'm all confused. We have other issues that we need to talk about. I'm not submitting to somebody. So here, this is an important distinction. Submitting to somebody else is not a way to learn who you are. Submitting to someone else is a way to grow in humility. Let's just keep the, let's keep the exercise connected with the, the goal right? That's huge because as soon as I'm just doing this for my own gain, mm-hmm. that's my own gain, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm submitting because of this greater idea that I want to be there for her. Mm-hmm. I want to be there for them, my children. Right. And, and that, that goal, the kind of person you want to be, that's your identity. And you've arrived at clarity about your identity through a whole different set of questions yes. and practices. Yes. I'm choosing that I want to be the man who's married at a hundred years old to mm-hmm. the woman. I'm choosing that I want my children to look at me when I'm on my deathbed and respecting and right. love me. And right. So I'm choosing right. that. So that's a reason why I'm stepping into this 12 step program to of humility anyways, because I'm keep getting confronted with exactly. I'm showing up like an a-hole mm-hmm. and not, not getting, yeah, not, that's it's not, not who I am. It's not who I want to be. Right. Right. Because I have all these role models that are showing me this other approach. That's not working. Okay. Step four. (laughs) Step four. There's 12 steps. I'm going to summarize them. 
Um, no, I think let's just, we got, we got time. Let's talk step, about them. Some of them are just weird. Here, step four is my favorite. And that's this, that when obedience becomes hard, you keep obeying anyway. Now obeying what? Well, in this case, obeying the rule, the obeying the, the, the practice or the purpose for your life. Okay. So this is written in the context of a Christian monastery. So we're talking about obedience to Christ and the teachings of Christ. Mm-hmm. The transfer, which I think is fundamentally what he's talking about, clearly. Clearly, this is written for um, Christian maturation. But there are transferable principles that even extend beyond that, which, for instance, would be this, that we let ourselves off the hook whenever we face discomfort or injustice. Mm. Well, it got really hard. And I didn't get enough sleep, and then my alarm didn't go off, and the power went out, and A, B, C, D, F, G. Or it got really hard, and it wasn't even fair. They weren't treating me fair. The, the, the deck was stacked against me. So we let ourselves off the hook to, to obey, to do the thing that we should do. Maybe we put it like that. And yeah. Benedict says, a step to, remember the big picture, the step toward humility is, I do it anyway. It doesn't matter if it gets hard. I do it anyway. So this has been the biggest one for me because um, it's almost not even obedience when it's easy or when it's fun. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like we said, I was telling a friend of mine, my two, my two older kids had the same personality, a girl and then a boy, but they both just, they, we parented them the same way. They, they longed to do what we wanted them to do. They were compliant. They were easy kids. My third, different personality. And I was explaining this to this friend of mine. And she said, so you mean you actually have to parent the third one? And she just totally called me on the carpet, right? And that's the, that's the similar thing to what I'm saying now. It's not obedience if it's easy. It's obedience when you're like, oh, I, I have to do what I'm being told. Even if I'm being told, the person who's telling me is myself because I said, I'm going to accomplish these things today. Yeah. And then life happens and it's not easy to accomplish those things anymore, but you do it anyway. So we typically talk about this in terms of, in, in the context of achievement and growing your business and all those things. And those probably are good context, but I'm talking about this or Benedict's talking about this within the context of becoming a humble person. The humble person is like, it's raining like crazy. Um, my jacket is soaking wet, but uh, my neighbor needs help because the tree just went through their roof. And it would be reasonable in anybody's estimation for me to say, sorry, I just can't, you know, it, it's, it's, it's too hard. But the humble person's like, I'm going anyway, right? right. And, right. and the pride, more importantly, the prideful person can become a humble person or can make a can can act in humility by by stepping out anyway even though gosh it's so justifiable and valid for you right. not to do it yeah and i think you know as i relate it to men fatherhood i think the obvious one is dudes who cheat on their wives right it's like man it all fell apart it was so hard we were doing this that or the other and then it just happened Dude. right so yeah. that's an easy one to point out but what about 
What about when you say, you know, whenever you sit down and you're like, all right, I'm going to be a great dad. I'm deciding, I'm choosing, I'm setting a a set of guidelines for myself, which is great because it's, uh, you know, Friday and I'm not working today. And like, I wrote it all down and nobody's bothering me. But then it's Tuesday and you got fired or had a bad day at work and you show up at home and you are not that guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe it doesn't even have to be so intense, but, uh, think about your weeks and you, when you show up at home and you're using an excuse for the way that you're treating everyone around you. Yeah. Right. You're not obeying your own guidelines that you set for yourself. Right. Yeah. You're just justifying yourself. It was kind of a silly story of a few years ago, I was coaching this baseball team and um, coaching with some good guys, but you know, after a baseball game, you're supposed to drag the field and you're supposed to pick up the equipment and all this stuff. The, the, the dads are doing that, right? The coaches are doing that. Well, not these guys. They, they weren't doing it ever. I felt like I was always the guy who was doing it. And we're playing games on Saturday. I speak almost every Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, man, if if anybody if anybody deserves to go home or is justified mm-hmm. in leaving early. But um, so I had this really bad attitude. I was getting more and more resentful as I'm walking across the field carrying these two big body bags full of gear. You know, I'm just getting really resentful. And um, and I felt like I felt like God said to me, you're a Christian, you're supposed to serve. Like that's what that's what Jesus people do. Jesus served. If you're a follower of Jesus, you serve. It was like it was like a, a call on the carpet, yeah. right? But here's why it was so helpful. Because it freed me from the resentment. So to to embrace that humble act, that was actually beneficial because it freed me from the bondage that I was increasingly getting in, which was the bondage of resentment towards these other dudes. Does that make sense? No, it makes it makes all the sense in the world because you're going to do it regardless. And, and even if they had showed up with you not being confronted with that, your resentment w- or bondage would have still been there because you're just living comparatively. Yeah. You're comparing what you're doing to what they're what doing. they're doing. The only way out of that was to just step out of it. And like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this because I'm, cho- I'm going to choose to serve. I'm going to choose to get out of this whole conversation about, do I deserve to do this? Don't they, shouldn't they do some of this work now? A healthy long-term relationship is going to include a conversation about, hey, right. let's develop a routine and let's share the responsibilities. Right, right. But but when you see yourself spiraling into deeper and deeper resentment with your wife because she just will not recognize your effort, that's a that is a dark hole. You're going to get deeper and deeper until you decide, <sighs> yep, I'm going to obey even if it's hard. Obedience in that context looks like I'm going to I'm going to fr- I'm just going to release her from, I'm going to release myself in a sense from the need to be recognized by my wife for all the hard work I'm doing. It's going to like say, I'm just not going to dance with that anymore. Mm. You know, that's a straight up hard decision. It is. It is. And I think I fail at it. The reason I bring up the story is because it revealed to me on such a silly level. Seriously, (laughs) I'm carrying baseball helmets across the field and I'm all tied up in a knot about it. So that's a really dumb example. It's the perfect example because all of us could think of one. I could think of one right now about yeah. taking out the trash cans. But see, that's right. You but know, that's I. I don't share that story saying and I achieved 
enlightenment and you know right, perfect humility. Right. I say that to say, see how locked up I am in my pride and see how destructive that pride is because it I get I literally I get tied up and I don't want to be that guy. I want to be free. Mm. I want to be the guy who is joyfully carrying the gear across the field, not because he's the putz and he's like the equipment manager and everybody forced him to do it. No, that's coercion and that's unhealthy because I chose to do it because I'm good with it, right? I'm free to do it. It, I am not being disrespected. Right. I am freely serving. That's freedom. That's freedom. People might laugh at it, point at it and say, no, that's not. I'll go sit in my Jeep and watch you do it. That's what's freedom. I say, well, actually, no, it's not. I, I choose to believe that Christ modeled true freedom and Christ served. According to the Bible, Christ is God, descends to earth, serves humanity, suffers a miserable and um, uh, insulting death, and, and then is God still. So that blows my whole worldview up in terms of, in terms of like what is winning and losing look like. See what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that context, I think, needs to be uh, factored in. Like where Benedict's coming from, where I'm coming from as, as Jesus followers. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, what's going through my head right now, and it's, it's, it's more freeing than it is frustrating but this isn't like I'm going to decide to be this guy and I'm this guy. What's happening is now every day, probably several moments, you start to understand that this thought comes into my mind and I acknowledge it and I decide, do I grab it and be resentful and pissed and mad at my wife, mm-hmm. mad at my kids, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I'm locked up. I'm not free. You're tight, not free. Right. Do I train myself to let it go faster? Not to not mm. deal with it, right? right? Like we might have to have conversations and figure right. things out. But do I choose to live in bondage? Do mm-hmm. I choose to live this way? Or do I choose to learn how, train myself faster? Not It's not about faster, but it's about living free more of the time. Yeah, it's about progressing in freedom. Like You, you I, want to be freer tomorrow than you were yesterday. Yes. Yes. Okay, let's talk about a couple more a, of these. A couple, another step is to be um, to be content with the lowest and most menial of tasks. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've had to plunge the toilet recently. It's my kids, man, it's so frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> and when I do it, I find myself irritated. Yeah, irritated. Sure. Uh, which feels like a menial task. Yeah, and then there's other tasks that you feel like, at least for me, I'm like, um. It's not worth my money or it's not worth my time mm. to do this. I'm worth more than this. Um, so somehow I've somehow I've associated my value with the importance of the task that I'm doing. Now there's wisdom in organizational management. You know, I shouldn't be, I don't know, mopping the floor if I'm the only one who can cast the vision for the organization going forward. But I, sh- I, I have lost my ever loving mind if I think I'm too good to wash the floor or to mop mm. the floor, right? I've yes. lost it. Yes. Who cares what my vision is for the organization if I'm too good to, to mop the floor? So I'm not saying that, and I don't think Benedict is advocating for everybody to just do the least efficient work possible for their skill set. He's saying, be content with it. 
Like, don't think you're too good for anything. Yeah. Right. Don't think anything is below you. Um, and it, they're, they're all related. Um, I'm not going to be resentful of, uh, toward my wife for taking out the trash unless I think taking out the trash is below me. So if I'm content with taking out the trash. Well, because as soon as you are frustrated with it, it's either because you think it's below you or you're comparing what you're doing versus what she's doing. I think that's a great insight. You either think it's below you or you're comparing yourself to somebody else. And you automatically, I'm doing this. I do this every week or I do this more than her. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous, man. That goes to the spiral that you're talking about, like a dark spiral, which then that's where the wedges come in is these little stupid things. Yeah. Um, there's two more I want to talk about before we start to wrap this up because they, um, really all of them, I think we got to mention all of them real quick, confess your sins. Uh, if you don't have somebody in your life that you're not, that you're, um, that you're honest with, I think it's, you're, you're going to be a run away, a run away train of pride. Um, so if you don't like the phrase, confess your sins, you got to be honest with somebody about what you're really thinking about, what you're really doing. If you want to be free. Okay. If you're interested in freedom, then you need to confess what's really going on. Gotta be honest. You gotta have a real and accurate mirror in your life. Otherwise you're pretending and we're really, really good at it. We tell ourselves we're better than we actually are all of the time. Yeah. And you can't keep going. Okay, men, like we can't keep going. All right, I'm going to figure it out. Like we go stumble and look at something on our phone or mm-hmm. we go do something we know we're not, we, we, we know that we don't want to do. I don't want to even say that we know we're not supposed to do mm-hmm. because we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. But, and, we but do then it. we say, I won't do it next time or I'll be better. You, that's pride, man. Yes. You can't figure it out. You can't move forward unless <laughs> yeah. you have somebody that you're being honest with. Right. Yeah. You've got an inflated view of your own ability. Well, because look at your track record. Again. I know. It hasn't worked. Exactly. It hasn't worked. Right. And why don't you want to tell somebody else that you respect? Because of pride? Because of pride. You don't want to be honest about who you are. That's the step towards freedom is, man. And the, as soon as you do that, you find out that you're not the only one. Sure. And so it just it just encourages honesty and being real, but it's it's still coming to terms with your inflated presentation of yourself, even to yourself. Right. Certainly to those around you. Uh, other steps that Benedict includes are controlling your tongue. Um, that's the That is the expression of pride initially as we say stuff we shouldn't say. Uh, speak gently when you speak, speak reasonably instead of emotionally. It's not against emotion, but it's like, if you want to, if you want to grow in humility, if you want to be free, then speak with, speak reasonably, not out of frustration. Right. So I could do a lot better job putting my kid in his place when I'm hot, right? I get pretty articulate, pretty specifically and pretty emotionally. And I will just put him in his place and I'll walk out of the room and I'll show him who, right. Who yeah. wears the pants. Yeah. But that's not my goal. <laughs> that's not my goal. My goal is to say this behavior is destructive. It's counter to our values of our family. And I need you to understand that it hurts me when you do it and we can do better than that. So that means I got to not you know, take it to Mach 7, I got to wait a day, come back and speak reasonably. That's the humble confrontation versus maybe the dramatic, no one's going to make a movie about that confrontation. 
So I think that's an important acknowledgement you just made though. Okay. You said, I need to wait a day. Yeah. Because I think it's okay to say like, men, you're not always going to be able in the moment. I mean, sure, get get there. But in the moment, just, <gasps> I'm going to take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody, let's yeah. bring this together. Right. No, like you're a man, you're going to get mad. You're a human being. Be okay with, I need, I need a day. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about this tomorrow mm-hmm. and go gather your thoughts, prepare what it is. So that then you can show up with who, what you really want right. to communicate. And some people will challenge you and they're like, no, tell me now. And then now but it becomes a pride. competition. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And you're like, you know, because I love you, I'm not going to tell you now. Because I want to be freed from this constant battle, I am not going to tell you now. I'm going to wait till I can calm down. Right. So I'm going to admit to you that I will do that arrogantly. You'll like manipulate the person. Because I'll be like, I could, can, I cannot fight like right now. I cannot fight. I can rise, you know, like mm-hmm. a perk up. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get in this with you right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's more that I'm showing that I have more control over myself in that moment mm-hmm. than you do. Yeah. So it's not coming from a, it's not coming from a, I'm just looking forward to making this right with you tomorrow. Yeah, or right. It's not coming from love. It's a competition. It's a competition. Even a competition and pride. So it's a, like, yeah. it's, so you could do this. So at the end of this, you could do the exact same action. One comes from a place of pride and one comes from a place of humility. And probably the difference is I'm in my mind saying, choose humility, Ned. Yeah. Versus I'm going through these steps and these are a part of my life. Mm-hmm. So I'm showing up to this confrontation already with a, I'm small. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm small. Mm-hmm. I don't love my own will. Mm-hmm. Right. It's yeah. like all those things had to happen before, because if I am in one of these situations and I go up, oh, I'm going to choose humility. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden I'm, I'm yeah, having the wrong conversation in my I know, head. I know. Ironically, you've flipped it. Yeah. So motive becomes a really big factor. It's like, what's my motive in this? Is it to win the humble prize? Oh, I just lost it, right? If my motive is to love, then... So gross, dude. It's like embarrassing to say it. I know. And I think that's... Ned, I think that's why we rarely talk about humility. It's just complicated. Right. If anybody assumes that they've actually got something to say about humility, then people think they're being prideful Like, who are you? Like, who Who are are you you? to say this? Yeah. I'm even aware of like, people are going to go, oh, you said that. So why aren't you doing that? Right? But that I think that's what we're saying, though. We're saying like, enter into it. Yeah. This isn't a... I wrote a book and now I got to figure it out, right? Yeah, right this is right. a, hey, I'm acknowledging that this is a thing about yeah. life and I'm choosing to step into it yeah. and it's going to be here forever. Yeah. So why why not talk about it? Right. I mean, I'm acknowledging that this last year has been characterized by a lot of division, a lot of resentment, yes. a lot of broken relationships, people that I really care about, I have hurt. Um, and I don't want to do that. So I have to grow I have to mature and specifically I have to mature in humility. I just have to, I have to be a more humble person, genuinely humble. Otherwise the very thing I don't want to do, which is hurt people, I'm going to continue to do. And I'm going to continue to hurt at an exceptional level, people that I don't understand quite as well as myself. And those are especially the people that I don't want to hurt. Right. Right. The world needs Christians who look like Christ. And there's not a lot of Christians that look like Christ. The reputation of the church in America is foul right now. So uh, we got to improve on that. And I take it as a personal responsibility to do so. Here's two more really quick, two more steps from like modern writers that I think are especially helpful. There's a guy named Tim Shorey. Is that okay if I go with this? Yeah, I okay. love it. And his, his, he's got a book 
um, called Reflecting Human Worth in How We Listen and Talk. Oh, that, that's, the, that's the subtitle. The title's called Respect the Image. And he has an insight that I think is helpful in this. He's, his insight in growing in humility is assume you're wrong. And initially, I just did not like that. I think <laughs> that's a lousy uh, default to assume I'm wrong. It just makes me feel very insecure. But what he says to clarify is he says, I don't mean totally wrong. I mean wrong in some way, in, in opinion or in attitude or in word choice or emphasis or tone or in my grasp of the relevant information or in timing. Mm. You know, you can that say- That makes it so much better. It does. It's not, he's not saying- Assume you're completely and totally and entirely wrong. He's saying we should enter every conflict. He's specifically talking about conflict, confident that there will be something for us to learn Mm. and something to confess and something that I didn't know as clearly as I should have. So I just love this last part. He says, uh, He says that I'm not all-knowing should be more than a statement of the obvious. It should be a conscious, functioning conviction that humbles me at all times. Consistently practiced self-awareness that we may be at least partly wrong can diffuse a lot of the potentially combustible discourse. And then he says this. He says, after all, if we assume we're wrong, we don't have to be right. And if I don't have to be right, then I don't need to fight. Hmm. That's very liberating to me. It's very liberating to me. Even in a conversation where I know that I am accurate and you're mistaken, I can still, even in like the most extreme situation where we would say, Nate's right, Ned's wrong, I can still enter into that dispute, say we are arguing with something that I could, I'm probably wrong on something, right? And so that's going to just enable me to enter into conflict more humbly. Because it's no longer about winning. It's no longer about winning. Because you're showing up not to win, you're showing up for resolution, yeah. which is rest, restoration, yeah. which is what we know we're all longing for, whether you acknowledge Christ and God or not. Right. We know something's wrong right? Yeah. <laughs> in ourselves, in our Seriously. marriage, in our relationship mm-hmm. with our kids. Right. And, and it's almost frustrating that it's never all going to be resolved, but that's kind of the point, is, yeah. is this, this constant like submit to this need for others and growth yeah. and... I mean, that's what life is, right? Yeah, yeah. And so many of the conflicts that we do get in, we lose sight of, like, how many times have you have you gotten in an argument with your wife and you're like, three days later, you're like, what were we even fighting about? You get so focused on being right that you lose, you just Dude, lose Dude, that can happen track. in one argument. It's like, well, 10 minutes ago you said, and I'm like, what she, or like, what did you say? I'm like, I don't even remember. Don't even remember. Like, it's been 10 minutes and all I know is that I'm right. That's all I know. All I know is I'm trying to win. <laughs> yeah. That's all I know right now. Um, yeah. Because you're coming at it not from a place of, of actually you want restoration. Right. You want to feel good about it's like you're defending whatever it is that was inside of you, which is the pride, right? I, I just I have to defend because if I like let go, but as soon as you do let go, like dude, you feel it in your heart. Yeah. That sense you're of freedom. You're free. It's like that first time you hug your wife, like, you know, when I'm just like, well, I'm not even going to hold her hand because I'm just wanting to be pissed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so you suck yeah, it up and you yeah. hold her hand or you give her that hug or you cross in the kitchen mm-hmm. and you, you know, mm-hmm. and then once it's, then it's like, whew, God yeah. dang it. I'm glad that's yeah. passed. Yeah. Yes. It's a great example. And I it'd like be that. great. I'd love for that window to be shortened mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because in that window, However long I leave it is just, it's hell. It's destruction. It's bondage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it sucks, dude. One more thought. There's yeah. an author, uh, Sung Chan Ra. He writes a book called Many Colors, Cultural Intelligence for a Changing Church. 
And his insight that I love is um, each disagreement can either be a battle of messages or a learning conversation. I just think that's a really well put. Each disagreement can either be a battle of messages where you're saying something, but I'm not even listening because I'm about to drop my message on you. And we just keep soundbiting back and forth. Think presidential election. That's all it is. It's a battle of messages. People ask a question. They don't even try to answer the question. They just start talking with their own answer or their own message. Instead of that, we can enter into learning conversations and there's always something we can learn, right? Even if you and I are in a massive argument, there's something for me to learn about you, about the situation. Now, so that means that that means that I have to actually listen. Yeah. Right. Cause I can't learn anything. If, if all listening. I'm doing right. and this is, I fall into this is all I'm doing is yeah. thinking about what I'm going to say next. Right. Me too. Which all comes down to what's my agenda and I mean, it just comes back to winning yeah. or being right, yeah. um, which is defending whatever it is in me, whether I remember what it is or not. I just, you know, yeah. so, and that's so huge is the idea of listening. Right. It's like, I'm working on it so hard. And I've had my daughter tell me a couple of times, my oldest daughter put her hand on me hmm. or at the dinner table, we're finished dinner or whatever. I'm not on my phone. My phone's not on my hand, but she'll be talking to me. And she'll put her hand on my hand or on my, dad, are you listening right now? Really? Like she can feel. Yeah. She could tell. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I'm really working on hmm. is listening. How are you working on it? Um, it sounds kind of crazy, I guess, but I will, I will, a couple of things I'm doing is one is I'm using people's names a lot more that's because I'm trying idea. to engage in who they are. Yeah. Right. Cause we all love to hear our name. Yep. And I realize when I'm sharing my opinion, a lot of time, I don't look at your face. Mm. And so, and so I'm looking at your face Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then when you're speaking, I'm looking at your face Mm -hmm. or looking at your mouth Mm -hmm. to like, like I'm trying to be here Mm -hmm. with what you're saying. Those are great. And then in my mind, I sometimes I'm, I'm I'm like focused back. Mm -hmm. I'm reminding myself. And I have a serious, like intimate gaze happening right now. (laughs) (laughs) Prolonged gaze. (laughs) It's getting uncomfortable. It's getting uncomfortable. <laughs> but I have to remind myself, like, listen, listen, mm-hmm. you want to listen. It's almost like obey the rule. Yeah. Go back to that fourth one. Yeah. Obey when it's tough. Cause it's like, we're used to just letting our minds wander and being about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. Obey your own rule. Yep. Listen. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's hard when you're taking criticism. You can, you can smell it before they even start talking, right? Oh, here it comes. They're unhappy with me and they start. And what am I doing? I'm forming my response. I'm defending myself. I, That's I gotta, a tough one. I, I think for anybody yeah. is, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting better. I'm trying to grow in that because I, I'm probably everybody. I hate hearing criticism and it's happened with my team. And it's, I mean, it's been in the last, it's happened twice in the last, in this year mm-hmm. where they'll bring up something to me. And in the immediate, I'm offended and kind of like, I'm a little bit of a jerk. And then I've had to go back and apologize. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I, I do that super purposefully because it sucks so bad to do that, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's teaching me that I don't want to have to do that again. So just respond better. Yeah. Don't Me- react. Meaning, uh, listen for what you can learn in their criticism is what you're saying. Right. Versus just defending yourself when they criticize. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, dude, yeah. this has been, uh, really, really good. 
I, I hope so. I hope it's helpful. I know that um, my hope would be that I I've spent time with addicts and I've spent time in recovery communities as a supportive person. And my dad um, had an addiction um, to drinking, and so I've kind of I kind of have this uh, awareness. No, not kind of. I very I have a very strong awareness of the liberation that can come. Mm. When an addict gets free, right? It's just life changing. And so may anything helpful that was shared today, may it be used to free us from like the mother of all sins, like the pride that is really at the foundation of the destructive um, uh, consequences of our actions. I, I, I would long, my hope would be that dads would be free from the destruction of their own pride, free from the addiction to always being the center of the world, right? And free to, to really love and to restore the world, starting with their kids, their homes, right? The world needs healthy dads. The, the, world, the world needs dads who are free. I mean, I think that's why this, this may be the most important topic hmm. because Yes, I can tell if I drink too much or if I'm, I'm, I'm looking at pornography. I can tell and I can get those things out of my life, right? Mm-hmm. Which then comes even maybe a deeper sense of pride. But we want to show up as great dads. And I think that we don't know how. So we start to try to do everything that we've heard everybody say on the podcast or in the books, mm-hmm. which is all really good stuff. So many good ideas. Yeah. yeah. But, but it has to come from this basis of like me choosing who do I want to be? Do I accept, do I want to accept who I am? Mm. And then I want to go walk this journey of this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This master the craft of fatherhood is, is, yeah. is acknowledging that this is a journey of my life. And I think that you articulated it really well that some of those other things like the drinking too much or this mm. or that or the other, those are really easy. But this piece is harder because when all those things are out and we're still going, why am I showing up like this? Right? Uh, now we're able to acknowledge, oh, yes, every, everyone is nodding their heads as they're listening to us talk, yeah. right? There's they're a all problem going, inside. Yeah, 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 yeah I acknowledge it. There's acknowledge this. it. Yes. I think we all can relate to it. Yeah. So, and I think we, we accept it. We might even sugarcoat it and turn it into something that we're, that we think is kind of cool. Um, but my hope is that we could believe that we can actually address it and get free from it get free from this radical selfishness. I don't think we can do it by ourselves. I think we need another power assisting us, but I do think that we can partner with God and get free from the thing that's caused so much pain. And these are some of the ways that we can do that. Hmm. Dude, powerful. Thank you. Oh, my friends, this is the stuff, right? This is the stuff that you and I must embrace, must embrace the adventure of fatherhood, must embrace the journey so that we can be the fathers that we want to be. Incredible, incredible stuff. I'm glad you guys were able to sit in and listen to that conversation with my friend Nathan and I. Hey, every Monday I put out the Fatherhood Field Notes podcast interviewing incredible dads like Nathan. If you're interested in a shorter podcast, I put one out every Friday. It falls under the same spot, Rebel and Create, but as craft of fatherhood. 
and I'll discuss a question, uh, topics that either father send me or stuff that's on my mind. So go check that out. I want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. If you haven't already, please take a minute and write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Thank you.